0: The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkettown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkettown, please visit our website at www.durkettown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G.
1: Matthew twenty-seven, in your scriptures, the strangest. Resurrection story has now uh, the sermon title has now been changed <laughs> because after I preached this at St James on my way back over, I had an epiphany, and now we're going to change the sermon title. But first, Allison, I'm going to ask you: Who wrote that arrangement to "Beautiful Savior"? Do you know? yeah that was that was fantastic i thought maybe one of yeah the instrument all of that stuff oh that was fantastic i mean that was so beautiful thank you very much for your hard work on that that's not the new sermon title um but it was just so much appreciated thank you allison sorry i didn't mean to put you on the spot there but there you are Traditionally, in the church, in the Advent season, there are four sermons preached during the four Sundays of Advent. Most churches don't do this because when I give you the names of the sermon themes, you'll go like, well, no wonder they don't want to do that around Christmas. The first sermon in Advent is death. The second one is judgment. The third one is heaven, and the fourth one is hell, but they're called the four last things. And on my way over, I thought about this sermon, and I retitled it, The Four First Things. The Four First Things. And I hope that becomes evident as it goes along. The big idea of the sermon this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has opened the way to new things, to new possibilities, to a new life in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has opened up the way to new things, to new possibilities, and to a new life in Jesus Christ. And with God's help this morning, I want to point out four signposts that Matthew gives us immediately after Jesus gives up the ghost and then before he is raised from the dead. And these four signposts, are intended to lead us directly to Jesus Christ. That's what signposts do. They lead us to a destination. But we need to see the signpost and follow them to get us to the destination. They will lead us to Jesus, who not only rose from the dead, but the one who rules and reigns from his eternal throne, and the one who is coming to judge the living and the dead, and never forget that that the one who came, the one who died, the one who rose, the one who ascended is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Now, this resurrection sermon is not going to focus on Jesus coming out of the tomb, what Charlene read from Matthew 28, but instead it's going to focus on what he accomplished between his physical body dying and then three days later walking out of the tomb and i'm approaching it this way because at its heart the meaning of the resurrection of jesus is that things which were previously closed are now opened the things that were previously closed are now open a new way new possibilities new life And the opening of new life begins when Jesus gives up the ghost. That's the way Matthew says it. Well, the King James translates the way Matthew says it, that he gives up the ghost. Now, for everybody who wonders what happens when you die, you only need to look and see what happened to Jesus when he died. But you've got to look at it before the resurrection. Because we tend to go from death, oh, we'll be raised one day from the dead. That's how most of us conceive of the Easter story. Jesus died, Jesus rose, I believe in Jesus. When I rise, I get to go uh, to heaven. But there's more to understand about what happens when Jesus died that help us understand what happens when a person dies in Christ. We know... um, from the apostle peter and we've got to do just a little bit of work in peter you don't have to go there i'm going to make the reference though and you can jot it down or you can pick up a copy of the sermon if you want to check it out later but we know in first peter three eighteen that peter says this christ also hath suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god having are being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit so jesus is put to death in the flesh he is quickened by the spirit and by saying this peter brings together two truths one is the suffering of christ for the forgiveness of sins that's what is meant by the just for the unjust he dies in the flesh his physical body dies so that he, the just one, might bring the unjust, sinners like you and me, to God. But then Peter says, well, wait, there's more to come. Because when his physical body died, Jesus remains alive in his spirit. And as he remains alive through the spirit, Peter says, Jesus then took action in the unseen world. And this is really quite fantastic to think about that when his physical body dies, his spirit remains alive and he goes to war against the dominion of death and against the powers. And he does this on our behalf. He takes action in the unseen world, the spiritual world where the dark powers of evil and the dominion of death has to be overcome, and then now they are overcome by the Christ who suffered, who has died, but alive in his spirit. Now, my point isn't to work through 1 Peter 3, and I would encourage you to read it later and see this more detailed description of what Jesus does immediately after he gives up the ghost. When Jesus yields up his physical body to death, His spirit is fully alive. That means that when we die, or a person dies, their physical body dies, their spirit is still alive. Now, we stop there because we don't go into the dominion of death and have to fight the demons and everything in order to gain eternal life. Jesus already did that for us. When we die, our spirit remains alive, waiting for the day of resurrection, and what you decide to do with Jesus in this life determines on the day of resurrection where your body joined together with your spirit raised up on the day of resurrection. Will it be a judgment to life in Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth, or will it be a a judgment to condemnation and death separated forever from God in hell? That determination is made in this life. And we need to be constantly saying that and continuously aware of that. And so we say, well, what happens when we die or our physical body goes to the ground where it waits for the day of resurrection to be joined with our spirit that is alive? Just as Jesus, his physical body dies, he is alive in the spirit, but he then goes to war against the darkness, the the church has called this uh, for many years the harrowing of hell. Uh, to harrow a field is to take an agricultural tool uh, with a lot of you know rods and points on it, and to tear up and to break up the ground. There is also a um, a, a more um, ancient meaning of it to uh, tremble or to fear. You are harrowed. Uh, that means you're caught up in some kind of a, you know, anxiety about fear. And you bring those two meanings together, and you get the sense that when Jesus dies in his spirit, he goes into the dominion of death, and there he tears it up, he breaks the power of death, and, and I love this thought, he causes the demons to tremble, he causes the darkness to tremble, because they assumed, right, that when he died, that was the end of it. And you know, never forget what the apostles said, if they knew what they were doing when they put Jesus to death, they never would have done it. But evil always overplays its hand. And so Jesus goes into the dominion of death, he harrows hell, which is then the release of bondage of those who have been held captive to death. They are then released and made free, the full price of their bondage. The ransom has been paid to holy God, and the hope then of eternal life is secured by what Christ does. Peter focuses on the unseen action, but here in Matthew 27, Matthew focuses on what is visibly being seen. Pick up the reading with me in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 50, and I'm going to just read a little bit. Down into the remainder of chapter 27. When uh, Jesus cries again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city. And appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. The four last things, death, judgment, heaven, hell, the four first things, The veil is torn. The earth shakes and the rocks broken open. Old Testament saints made alive. Faith comes alive. A centurion walks into eternal life through Jesus Christ. Signposts that if you follow them will lead you directly to jesus christ four things happened immediately before the physical body of jesus exited the grave on that first easter morning and and i tell you not a lot of people and i don't quite honestly know why talk about this in fact a, a friend of mine you know posted one of these things that outlines palm sunday to easter sunday and sure enough sure enough you get to he dies He's buried and then he he, he raises from the dead. Oh, I want to say, wait, (laughs) something else happened that we need to pay attention to because it informs us about what the fullness of what Jesus accomplished and the hope that we have through faith in him and what we can say to people about why we are so, you know, full. Of uh, the truth and happiness and joy on Easter Sunday. Four first things. The veil is torn, verse 51. The veil uh, is a physical barrier. This was established in the uh, ceremonial law of, of Israel when the tabernacle was constructed. It was carried forth into Solomon's temple, reconstituted in the second temple, and it was the place that separated the people from the holiness of God. It was at the very heart of the sacrificial system. Only the high priest could go in behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and only once a year on the day of atonement when sacrifice would be made. When Jesus gives up the ghost, the veil is torn in two. Now, we're not told who tears the veil in two. So I'm going to say something. That's what I think. I can't show you a Bible verse. But if in the spirit Jesus is going to war, I don't think it's too far out of reason to say that Jesus, in his spirit, ripped that thing in two, and now through his life opens the way to God for us. Just think about this. When Jesus dies... The separation is undone. And if you follow that line through into places like Hebrews 10, what you will find is the argument from the writer of Hebrews that says, he is the great high priest. He is the one who made sacrifice once for all, sufficient for all sinners who through faith will come to him, that he broke open the way to God, the veil of the temple torn in two by the priest the high priest the great high priest of God now the first thing opening the way to God the second thing Matthew tells us is in verse number 51 that the earth shakes and the rocks split open now there are times throughout scripture when God's power is shown through the shaking of the earth at times It is to be taken literally. As in the time when, and I didn't check my notes on this, but I think I remember it correctly, when um, Peter is in prison and he's in uh, the chains and he's going to be released and the earth shakes and the chains fall off and the doors open and he walks out. But that also might have happened to Paul and Silas and Philippi. The point is, (coughs) excuse me, that literally the earth shook by God's hand and freed people from their bondage, freed people from their prison. Also to be taken metaphorically in the Bible, for instance, the prophet Haggai, or in the letter to the Hebrews, when God promises to shake the earth once more. Along with the veil being rent in two, the earth now shaking, God has done something literally earth-shattering through Jesus. The rocks split open, and immediately our minds should go to the wilderness when Moses is commanded by God to take his rod and to do what? To strike the rock. And when the rock splits open, what pours forth? Water. Life-giving water for thirsty children, the people of Israel. And when Jesus Christ on the cross is, as it were, split open, what pours forth from him is life giving water for spiritually thirsty people i am the water of life he is the well of life if you thirst come to him the rocks split open open with this shattering earth shattering event that jesus accomplishes why well because jesus is identified in Psalm 118, we read last week, we read the earlier portion of it today, as the chief cornerstone of God's salvation, the rock of God's salvation, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 later comments what? That the rock in the wilderness that Moses hit with his rod and split open, that rock was Christ. And so we pull this together and we say, <coughs> excuse me, that what Matthew is visibly it's telling us about happening in the visible world has these great spiritual realities that serve as signposts for you and me to follow to get us to Jesus the third one which is really crazy it's really crazy and that is the graves were opened verse 52 and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And there Matthew stops. And I want to say, Matthew, why didn't you stick a parenthesis and then give us about three chapters explaining that. Give us another parenthesis and go on with the story. Because you're like, what? 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 Immediately upon Jesus giving up the ghost, dying, the veil is torn in two. The rock splits open with an earth-shattering event, and when the rocks split open, the graves open, and lights come on, and Old Testament saints, they're made alive. Now you say, well, wait a second, Ken. Maybe, you know, maybe Matthew needed to just kind of, like, you know, pad his story a little bit. I mean, after all, he's not John you know john is just so eloquent and so good so many exciting things right maybe matthew just adds this or maybe somebody later on added it because it just that doesn't seem really really well you know it's nowhere else in the gospels no other writer says this and this would seem to be pretty important well let me remind you that the uh the uh The writing about Lazarus being raised from the dead, we only get that in one gospel. That's only in John. That's pretty significant. Now, I think you have to take this literally as a signpost that leads us then into hope of resurrection. Along, you know, with this idea of the rock splitting open and the life-giving water of salvation of Christ pouring forth, when that life comes out, this eternal life-giving water, dead things come to life. I mean, isn't that why we endure a long winter around here? So that when the April showers come, we get the what? May flowers, And the green grass. And the trees bud. And then we all complain because we've got to do yard work and allergies and all that. But, you know, that's our problem. But, you know, what do we hope for? We hope for life to come out of things that are dead the resurrection of the old testament saints in matthew 27 is indeed one of the strangest resurrection stories and i think in all of the bible but it is one that we need to tell and commentators who have dared to comment on this and there aren't very many of them believe that the raising of these dead old testament saints is a fulfillment then of ezekiel's vision of those dry bones coming to life Remember a few weeks ago we read that passage and we read it. You might have said to yourself, why did we read that? Well, here's why. Because I knew we'd be preaching on this and we wanted to get to those dead bones coming to life. This is a picture of covenant promises being fulfilled in Christ to the people of Israel. What uh, Brian read from us from um, uh, Jeremiah, right? This great promise of a reconstituting of God's people through Christ, though faithful israelite who completes his vocation on israel's behalf to die for their sins so that they might come to life but note and this is very important note that when these dead saints come to life their graves are open that they have to wait three days why because jesus we're told by paul is what the first fruit of resurrection these people can't jump out of the grave ahead of jesus no no they're following the captain of their salvation they're following the one who now is going to lead them to eternal life and this is a great lesson for us as well it's a great lesson of hope that when we die physically our bodies spirits remain alive to god resting in god's peace waiting for the great day of resurrection. And we have hope we will actually come out of the grave. Why? Because like these Old Testament saints who came out of the grave and appeared to many, we too will come out. Why? Because Jesus, the first fruit of resurrection, walked out of his grave. Now this means coming to life in Christ. We have a promise of life today. Not not just some faraway place, maybe one day in the future, but Real life today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ opens the way to new things, new possibilities, new life, real life in Christ, who was the first to walk out of the grave. When the centurion, who is now the fourth sign, confesses Christ, we would have to say that it would have been unlikely That earlier in the day, the centurion would have thought to himself that he would have confessed Christ. A centurion is a soldier over soldiers, and this particular one has been given the task to oversee the crucifixion not only of Jesus, but of probably the two criminals that were on the other side of Jesus. I don't know about you. I I can imagine that soldiers... Who have seen combat, who have seen death up close and personal, or maybe those in law enforcement or those in fire and rescue have a difficult time not becoming hardened to death. And I can imagine that the centurion checking off the box another day of duty, more revolters going to be put up on the cross by the power of Rome and put to death, didn't think much about the assignment ahead of him. But listen to the way Matthew tells us what happened. When the centurion, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake. Interesting, Matthew doesn't say felt the earthquake. We would say, like, oh, you feel that earthquake? No, he says saw the earthquake because he wants us to know that they saw the things that were done. Now, again, he doesn't tell us exactly what he's talking about there. I'm assuming it's a combination of what was being done to Jesus by the mockers and the people reviling him and the way that Jesus responded to those people and to the earthquake And perhaps because Golgotha was the place of the skull, it was a place where dead bones were. And these rocks are splitting open and all of these things, I see this, the centurion, Matthew tells us that they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Along with three signposts, we have this signpost that tells us that along with physically dead people coming alive through Jesus, faith now comes alive as a spiritually dead man comes to spiritual life. He sees Jesus, and he sees now in Jesus that he is exactly who he had claimed to be. And if we take the confession of the centurion, to be an authentic act of belief, and I don't see any reason we shouldn't, then we can also say that the centurion, who by the way is not a Jew at all, is the first person to walk through the veil now torn into, into the very presence of Holy God. And when he gets there, God doesn't say, Not you, you just crucified my son. Why? What had Jesus previously said from the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And if I am correct in my understanding of what is taking place, and when faith comes alive and the centurion expresses faith in Jesus, he is accepted into the sight of holy God, the veil now torn in two. The rocks split open. The life-giving water of Jesus' blood pours forth. Life comes to the Old Testament saints. Life comes, spiritual life comes to this centurion. He says to the Jesus, yes, that is the Son of God. He receives eternal life because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. Think about this. This man who oversaw the brutal death by crucifixion of Jesus... This man, as a soldier who had seen the worst of what evil can do, suddenly, that hardness is broken through, and life comes. I don't care how far away you are from God right now. And God doesn't care either. He has the power to bring you back. Jesus would say, Father, forgive you for what you have done, whether you knew it or not. Father, forgive that person. They have been held bondage and captive by evil. Let them now see Jesus anew and fresh in their life. and Let them come to spiritual life, and by faith, let them follow me. Let's look at this and say, new possibilities for you today. Whatever the condition of your heart might be, Whatever way you have been walking, through Jesus Christ, new life comes. New ways open up and new possibilities come to us. These four signposts point us to a time of hope during great uncertainty. During great uncertainty. And while it is true that Christ is risen, that he is risen indeed, it is also true that the full effect of the resurrection has yet to come. But friends, it is coming. All things will indeed be made new. The resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't primarily a promise that we get to go to heaven after we die. And it doesn't matter what happens in between our conversion and that day. It is a statement. That the way to God has been opened up. And it's a statement that Jesus has given life to dead people and dead things. And all that is dead will indeed rise on the resurrection day. And that through faith you too can rise. Regardless of what you may have done or not done in this life. Because the dominion of death has been undone. Jesus conquered death and the powers thereof. And that's why, you know, reaching back to Palm Sunday and each night this past week, I encourage us to come together for a concentrated time that our mutual faith would be encouraged with what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done. So I want you to join me in a series of statements taken from 1 Corinthians and Romans and again from 1 Corinthians that affirm our belief in the resurrection of jesus christ read it with me alleluia christ our passover has been sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven the leaven of malice and evil but with the unleavened bread of truth of sincerity and truth alleluia Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died once to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Alleluia. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Alleluia. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has opened the way to new things to new possibilities, to a new life in Christ. To be a Christian is to take the invitation, as the proverb says, to forsake the way of foolishness. The way of foolishness is to live as if the things we've talked about are not true. For the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The proverb says, forsake the way of foolishness and then go in the way of understanding. The path of life in Christ is so clearly laid out. The Spirit has filled the church with authority to show you that way. And as we have taken up the word of God and pointed you to that way, may you take up the word of God and learn to live in the light of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, let us rejoice. Let us be glad, for He is risen. Hallelujah. He, he is risen. So Paul could, Apostle Paul could write,
2: "Death, where is your sting? Or grave, where is your victory? There is none. We are not afraid of death, for in Christ we have eternal." I thank you, Father, for the reminder as well today in the preaching of the word that that's not for a distant time only, but for right now. The veil being torn, the rocks being opened, the graves opening, the heart of a hardened centurion being turned to Christ are reminders, signposts. And realities that teach us this. Today, we can trust you to keep your promises to us. Today, we can believe that the resurrection power is given to us so that we might live a new life. And as we go forth from here, and maybe even right now in here, we are struggling with things. We are wrestling Some are wrestling right now in their very soul whether they will believe in Jesus. Oh God, would you grant salvation to them? Would you, like that centurion, press into their life faith that it might come forth in believing Jesus? Some of us are just wrestling with relationships. People we have long been at odds with. we find it hard to forgive. And yet today, we celebrate the great forgiveness that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Would we be a forgiving people and believe that if we will extend that forgiveness, you will bless us. Father, many here are wrestling with physical issues. Bodies that are falling apart. Bodies on their way to the grave. But today, what hope to know that even when this body goes to the grave, the spirit is life. And will one day, reunited with a perfect body oh Jesus Maranatha come quickly and until then give us hope
0: Please stand and join us in singing Christ is risen. He is risen indeed and celebrating that heaven's gates are opened wide. They're open wide to us because he is alive. (laughs) How can it be the one who died has borne our sin through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death? Sing, sing hallelujah. For joy awakes as dawning light When Christ's disciples lift their eyes Alive he stands, their friend and king Christ, Christ he is risen Christ is risen, he is risen indeed Oh, sing hallelujah Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Where doubt and darkness once had been, they saw him and their hearts believed that blessed are those who have not seen, yet sing hallelujah once bound by fear now bold in faith they preach the truth and power of grace and pouring out their lives they gave life life everlasting christ is risen he is risen indeed oh sing hallelujah join the chorus sing with Christ is risen he is risen indeed The power that raised him from the grave now works in us to powerfully save He frees our hearts to live his grace Go tell of his goodness Christ is risen he is risen indeed Oh Hallelujah! join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah, join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. He is risen, he's alive, he's alive. Of endurance and encouragement, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance to Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go in God's peace. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge. And without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkytown, please visit our website at www.durkytown.org.